My name's Mike. I'm the pastor here at 9am. Uh, there's so much in chapter 13. We won't be able to uh, go through it all and deal with all of it. Uh, we're just going to look at the first part of it today. But let me pray and then we'll look at this great chapter. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word to us. And we pray this morning as we hear this great word of your son and what he has done for us as your people you would help us to live in light of who your son is. And we ask by your spirit, you help us to understand these things and that he would change us to be more like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, there, there are those moments in life where you truly see the extent of someone's love for you. Uh, people will do all sorts of extraordinary things for those that they love. And if you think of you know the relationships you have in your life, you, you know that those who love you, truly love you by what they do. Uh, particularly in those hard moments of life, their actions show you their love for you. Uh, so a friend uh, who even though they are really busy with their own stresses in life and life is hard for them, well, they go out of their way uh, to see you because they know you're not well. Or the person who looks after their elderly mother or father and they literally dress them each morning and they bathe them each night and they clean up after their every need. Uh, oh, I remember about seven or eight years ago uh, when I saw the extent of Emily, my wife's love for me. Uh, I just got home from seeing my dad up in Queensland and my little brothers, and I picked up this tummy bug. And I, I really get sick with tummy bugs, uh, and I really get impacted by them if I do get them. But in the middle of the night, I was sick, like really sick. I've never been so sick in my life before. I was there in the bathroom with a bucket in my hand, and well, I won't give you more detail. Uh, but it wasn't good. It was it was a mess. Uh, but there was Emily, my wife, in the middle of the night, cleaning up my mess and helping me to get back into bed because I was so weary. And that right there was true love, right? That was true love. Marriage vows aside, I knew the extent of Emily's love for me at that moment. Uh, poor thing. I, I think she's looking forward for the time that I'll return the favor for her. But um, it hasn't come yet, thankfully. But it's those, it's those moments in life where you see the extent of a person's love for you. And as nice and as heartwarming as those examples might be, they pale into insignificance compared to Jesus' love for us. And that's what we'll see in this part of God's word this morning as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. We'll see the extent of his love for us. Uh, but before we do, let me just uh, set the scene for us a little bit, because John sets the scene for us right at the beginning of chapter 13, and he reminds us, just make sure you've got your Bible there, uh, as uh, Brody said, you'll be a bit lost otherwise. Uh, he says there, right at the beginning, chapter 13, verse 1, and this is not incidental, he reminds us again that now was the time of the Passover, and now was the time of Jesus' hour. And remember, the, the Passover and the hour, they're significant in John, uh, right at the beginning of the gospel, John the Baptist says of Jesus, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, in other words, here is the true Passover Lamb. Here is God's King. Here is God's Lamb who will die for the sins of the world. And throughout John, there's been this constant refrain about the hour. You know, Jesus' hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come, but now it has. Uh, we saw it last week, chapter 12, and here John reminds us again, the hour is here. And if you remember from last week, Jesus' hour is Jesus' moment of glory. 
And the moment of his glory is his death on the cross. And so as we start chapter 13, death is in the air. John wants us to see that. Everything is leading up to this moment when Jesus will die as the Passover lamb for the sins of the world. And for the next five chapters, so from chapters 13 to 17, what John does is he focuses in on this one meal with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, It's the Passover meal that takes place before Jesus is crucified. So as we read these chapters, and we're going to spend the next few weeks in these particular chapters, this is what we have to imagine. There's Jesus and his 12 disciples, and they're reclining at the table, and for them, reclining is kind of lying on their side. They would have been on cushions or something like that, which was the custom. There they all are, and they're eating the Passover meal together, and they're talking. That's the picture for the next few weeks. That's the scene for the next five chapters. And at the beginning of this meal, Jesus does the most extraordinary thing for his disciples before, really, as they begin the meal. And that's what we'll focus on today. We're only going to look at the first uh, 17 verses. So make sure during Gospel Team this week, you look at the rest of chapter 13. But just have a look from verse 4. And remember, they're there at the meal together. That's the scene. So verse 4, so he, Jesus, got up from supper. He laid aside his robe. He took a towel and he tied it around himself. And next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. And at first read, that might not seem that extraordinary. But just think about who this is for a moment. You see, who is it that's washing the feet of the disciples? It's not some ordinary person. It's not the son of a father. It's not the slave of a master. No, this is the son of God. This is God's king. This is the master. Just picture that. This is the one who many had already concluded in John's gospel, who was the Christ, the anointed one of Israel. This was royalty. And all the way back in chapter 6, the disciples had already said of Jesus, you are the holy one of God. And now the holy one of God was washing their feet. If you picture that, it's extraordinary. And when you remember how dirty the feet of a first century person were, you see how degrading this task is. You see, they, they didn't have you know, Nikes in the first century. They didn't have sneakers or boots or Crocs for that matter. They walked on unsealed paths and they walked through filth and dirt and mud and literally manure from donkeys and camels and flocks. It was gross. That's what their feet had to deal with. And what people would do in, in that time as they entered someone's house is they would wash their feet because the smell of their feet would have been that bad and they would have just dragged the mess through people's uh, homes and into their space. And so they would wash their feet before they went in or as they went in. And if you were well off, then you would have a slave wash your feet for you. But even some slaves would refuse to do it. Only the lowest of the low of slaves would be washing people's feet as they came in the door. And here's Jesus on his knees doing the job of the lowest of the low. Just picture it again. Here is the one who, verse 3, just have a look at verse 3. We need to grasp how extraordinary this is. Here is the one, verse 3, whom the Father had given everything into his hands, whom had come from God, and who was going back to God, Doing the work of a servant. 
of a slave. You see, no wonder Paul says of Jesus in Philippians 2 that he took on the very nature of a slave. Here is the Son of God in John 13, dressed like a slave with a towel tied around him, doing the work of the lowest of the low. See, it's, it's extraordinary that Jesus would do that for his disciples. Which is, which is why I think we can actually understand Peter's reaction. Uh, sometimes we're a bit hard on poor old Peter, but he often says what everyone is thinking, if we're honest to ourselves. And so, you know, here's Jesus, he's doing the rounds, he's washed a couple of the disciples' feet already, or maybe all of them, and he comes to Peter. And Peter says, verse 6, have a look at verse 6, he says, Lord, and that's important. See, Peter knows who Jesus is, his Lord. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? That's ridiculous. And this is no exaggeration. If anything, it underplays it. But it's like having Donald Trump and the Queen of England turn up to your house and offer to scrub your dirty toilet. You'd say, no way, right? Wouldn't you? Unless you were anti-Republican and anti-monarchist, then you might get them to do it. But Jesus says, verse 7 which is often the way with the disciples, Jesus says, verse 7, no, no, you, you don't realize. You don't realize what I'm doing, Peter. You don't understand. You will understand. Uh, once I've gone to the cross and after I've risen from the dead, then you'll understand. When the Holy Spirit comes and he explains things to you because he dwells in you, then you'll understand. But at the moment, you don't understand, Peter. And Peter, being Peter, what does he say? He says, no, no way. You're the son of God. There is no way that you are going to wash my dirty, scungy feet. It's beneath you, Jesus. To which Jesus says, verse 8, have a look. It's actually the key to the whole passage. Verse 8, Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You see, there's far more going on here than foot washing. Jesus is saying to Peter, you need to be washed by me. I need to serve you in this way. Otherwise, you, Peter, have no part with me. And in what way was Jesus going to serve and wash the disciples' feet? Well, it was by his death on the cross. That's what it points to. Jesus was going to humble himself and die on the cross for sins. So that his followers might be washed clean of their sin. Because sin stains us. And it makes us dirty before God. And as long as we are marred and immersed in sin, we have no part with God. We can have no part with Jesus. You see, forget stinky feet. It's our entire selves. Our entire selves are an offensive smell to the one and holy God. And if Peter thinks, or if we think that Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet is beneath him, well, Jesus lowers himself even more by dying on the cross. Rejected by his own, he came to save. He was spat and mocked and beaten. He was stripped naked. And he was hung on a cross that was reserved for the scum of the world. For the lowest of the low. And yet Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, he humbled himself. And he served us by dying such a death. Why? Well, so that we might be washed. So that we might be cleansed of that dirt of our sin. So that we might be reconciled to God and have a part with Jesus. 
You see, Jesus is saying to Peter, no, no, you don't understand. You can't do this, Peter. You can't do it. You can't wash yourself. You can't cleanse yourself or your sin unless I wash you, Peter. You have no part with me. You see, brothers and sisters, can you see how extraordinary this is? Can you see the extent of Jesus' love for you? You see, I've been, I've been massively struck by this passage during the week. That Jesus, my Lord and my King, the one for whom all things were created, would actually humble himself so low in his love for me and in his love for you. He did what none of us could do ourselves, our sins forgiven, our guilt before God removed. And now, more than that, we're righteous. We're blameless before God in Christ. And this is what our world just doesn't understand. You see, they don't realize they need to be washed by Jesus. They don't realize how dirty they are. And they don't realize that the dirt and that their sin is so thick and so black and so ingrained that they can't wash themselves. Please, if you are someone here this morning who does not know the cleansing work of Jesus, if I can use this language... It's time to get the filth washed. It's time to understand what Jesus was doing for his his disciples and what Jesus has done for you on the cross. He loves you and he died to make you clean. And as Peter replies, he he kind of gets it and kind of doesn't get it at the same time. At one level, I I want to commend Peter for his response and for his his enthusiasm. To have a look at verse 9... So Peter says, well, you know, if that's the case, Jesus, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus, I want the full package now. Give me all of it. Which in lots of ways should be our response to Jesus. See, Jesus offers to make us clean as to have a part with him and be in fellowship with him. And our response, it should be full of enthusiasm and full of excitement. Yes, Jesus, I want to be a part with you, Jesus. But Jesus says again, hold on, Peter, steady on, buddy. Uh, You don't quite understand. Verse 10, have a look, verse 10. The one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. He's completely clean. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, you are already clean. Why? Because you have believed in me. As the Christ and the Son of God, because you have responded to my word, you are already washed and clean, Peter. And Jesus will say in chapter 15 to the disciples that they're clean because they've responded to his word. See, that's what matters, how we respond to Jesus, believing in his word, believing in what he says for the forgiveness of sins. And yes, at this point in the gospel, Jesus hasn't died for Peter's sin yet. But remember, Jesus' death on the cross is once for all. It's for sins past and present and future. You see, what matters is how we respond to Jesus. What matters is accepting his word and his humble service of us. And I think this is what Jesus means when he says to Peter in verse 10. Just look again at verse 10 because it's, it's tricky. So try to stay with me. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, One who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. And I think what he means there is because what the foot washing is, is a symbol. 
It's a symbol to the disciples and to us of Jesus' humble service in dying for us on the cross. And what Peter needs to do is actually accept Jesus' humble service. He's already clean, he's already washed and bathed by believing in Jesus, but if the death that Jesus is about to die for sins, for Peter, is to be effective, well then Peter needs to let Jesus do this. He needs to let Jesus serve him in this way on the cross. Or to use the symbol, he needs to let Jesus wash his feet, to be served by him. And if Peter refuses to let Jesus serve him in that way, well then he can't be clean. And this is the problem with Judas. Because Judas accepted the symbol. He he let Jesus wash his feet, but the symbol meant nothing. Because Judas rejected Jesus. He was about to betray him. Jesus' death for sin would mean nothing for Judas. And so Jesus, at the end of verse 10, he says, he says, you are clean. And there the you, it's plural. He's saying to all the disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. For, verse 11, he knew who would betray him. And this is the real sadness of it. See, Jesus died for the sins of Judas. Jesus made the way for Judas to be cleansed, but he wouldn't accept Jesus' humble service of him. He wouldn't accept what the symbol of the foot washing actually pointed to, the death of Jesus on the cross. And when you think about it, isn't it incredible that Jesus would actually wash the feet of Judas? He knew what Judas was about to do. He knew that he was going to be betrayed by Judas. And yet Jesus would get down on his knees and clean and scrub the dirt and dry the scungy feet of Judas. And even more than that, Jesus would go to the cross to die for the sins of such like him. Knowing what he knew. And at this point, it's it's really easy to kind of paint Judas in the darkest of ways. Judas is the betrayer. You know, Judas, he's the most wicked of all. And what he did, it was wicked. It was evil. He chose to do what he did. He was guilty. But what will Peter do after Jesus gets arrested? Peter will deny ever knowing Jesus. That's a betrayal. And brothers and sisters, what were we in our sinful state? See, we were betrayers of Jesus. We were rebellious enemies of God. It can be really easy to look down on Judas, and we should in lots of ways, but we were the same in our sin. We are just as guilty in our sin. And so as incredible as it was for Jesus to wash Judas' feet, well, just as incredible was that Jesus would humbly serve us in washing us in cleansing us on the cross from the dirt and stain of our sin, of our betrayal of our God. See, brothers and sisters, do you see the extent of Jesus' love for us? It's it's almost beyond words. And the only thing that separates Peter from Judas and really us from Judas is that God in his sovereignty, is that we uh, in God's sovereignty have accepted Jesus' washing of us is that in God's mercy, we've actually believed in his word. Otherwise, we're no different to Judas. It's quite humbling. And that's the point that Jesus goes on to make. You see, the symbol of foot washing, it actually works in two ways in this picture. 
which is often what John does in his gospel. He uses different pictures and different symbols and uses them in different ways. And so the foot washing, it doesn't only point to Jesus' humble service of us, it's also an example of how we should humbly serve each other. So Jesus says from verse 13, have a look. Verse 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, well, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. And the point here is not that we should kind of now all go and and die on the cross for one another. Uh, There wouldn't be much of a church of God if we all did that. And we, we can't die for sins like Jesus did. That's not the point. No, the point is it's an example that Jesus has set for us. We're to be like Jesus. We are to humbly serve each other in the way that Jesus humbly served us. And so as disciples, as followers, well, we are to wash each other's dirty, scungy feet just like Jesus did. And given this is a command of Jesus, uh, what I thought I would do is I'd uh, randomly pick someone from the crowd this morning and ask you to come up here and I'll take my shoes off and you can wash my feet. Because that's what Jesus says, right? He's saying that that's what we should do to each other. Um, I mean, there was a working bee yesterday and I played soccer yesterday, so my feet are a bit smelly. Uh, unless someone wants to volunteer, unless someone wants to be humbly servant-minded like Jesus. No? No brave souls. You notice that I haven't offered to wash anyone's feet. See, is, is that the point? That's how many people have understood this passage, actually. That this is some ritual that we must now perform for one another. And many churches do this, particularly in the lead up to Easter. They wash each other's feet in this way. But that's the logic of a Pharisee. You see, that's what the teachers of the law did in Jesus' day when they tried to limit God's word to some limited religious practice. You see, today there is no need for that kind of foot washing. We wear shoes, thankfully. We have sealed paths to walk on. We don't step in manure everywhere. So how do we apply what Jesus says here? Well, it's limitless. That's the point. There's no end on how we might humbly serve each other. But just to give you a few examples to to, to kind of help our minds think this through, uh, some examples that show that kind of same degrading service as a first century uh, foot washing. So just think of those who serve us by cleaning the toilets of our church. That's humble service. That's degrading. Or think of those who on Monday nights for the life course that we've been running uh, for the last couple of weeks, they turn up an hour early to basically clean and mop and scrub the bathrooms so they're clean for people who come. And I've got two little boys, so I know what happens to those bathrooms on a Sunday. It's not good. And they're there cleaning it. Or think of those who, when they're on morning tea, they make sure that people are served. And they make sure that there's lots of food there and they make sure that things are clean before and after morning tea. And it's not just those kinds of examples. Think of our gospel team leaders that work hard to lead their group well. Of the brothers and sisters who spend an extra 30 or $40 on their groceries and spend that extra couple of hours making a meal for another person. It's the kids leader. It's the youth group leader. It's the SRE teacher. It's the kids holiday club volunteer who all give their time to serve each other. See, that's what it's like. It's, it's limitless. I could go on and on of different examples. And brothers and sisters, praise God, and on the whole, our church does this. We, 
we do wash each other's dirty, scungy feet. And we do this because we get Jesus. We do this because we get what Jesus has done for us, and so we serve like Jesus. And unlike the 12 disciples here in John 13, we know exactly what Jesus has done for us. We do understand. We are this side of the cross. We are the afterward of verse 7. And so as we look to Jesus and see his humble service of us on the cross, well, we serve each other. And if we are to keep serving each other as those who are washed by Jesus, or perhaps for some of us maybe we've, we've uh, I guess, stopped serving or struggled to be serving in this way, if we're to keep serving like Jesus, then we need to keep looking to Jesus. Because sometimes we're tempted to think that some kinds of service, well, they're just beneath us. Sometimes we're tempted to think, sure, I'll serve in this way and I'll serve in that way. I'm, you know, I'm happy to be on the music roster because, you know, I, actually I like playing music, but I'll never put my hand up for that. I'm not going to be on the cleaning roster. I'm not going to be on the setup roster. That's beneath me. Or the person who says, well, I'm happy to come to church on a Sunday when it doesn't inconvenience me, but I'm not going to go out of my way to meet with God's people and encourage them. Or the person who knows that uh, they encourage their gospel team when they turn up during the week and they know how much work their group leader has put into preparing the study for that night, but actually they'd rather just sit at home and, and stay on the couch and just veg. And I use those examples because in my own Christian life, I've done those. But if, we, if we're ever to think that some things are beneath us, that we're not worthy, that, that it's not worth our effort for the sake of God's people to do these kinds of things, well then, we need to hear what Jesus says in verse 16. Have a look. Verse 16, he says, I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So brothers and sisters, if we're ever tempted to think that some things are beneath us or that really, you know, it's not really worth our time or effort to humbly serve in this way or that, we'll look again to Jesus. And as we look at him, we'll be both warned and encouraged. He'll warn us because he'll remind us that no slave is greater than his master. If Jesus has set an example as our king and as our master, then where to follow that, that's the kingdom we are a part of. That is the king that we follow and we should do the same. And if we fall for those temptations and refuse to humbly serve, well, in effect, we're saying, well, we're greater than Jesus. You know, that's all good and well for you to do that, Jesus. Sure, you can do that, but not me. That's beneath me, Jesus. I'm not going to serve like that. But Jesus will encourage us because the more we look to him, the more we want to humbly serve. And if you spend time reflecting on the cross and what Jesus has done for you, well, all those excuses not to serve, they just fade away. And more than that, as we serve, we see what a blessing it is. So finally, just have a look at verse 17. Jesus says, verse 17, he says, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And here's the thing about God's word here. Here's the secret about Jesus' way of serving, which isn't really a secret, we just, we just forget. It's good. It's the best. It's a blessing. It's what we are made and created to do, to love God and to love each other. You see, forget the materialism and forget the careerism and forget the ritualism. Forget all those stupidisms. God's way is best and you are blessed if you do it. 
And God's way is Jesus' humble service of you and of me by the washing of our sin. And now as people of God's kingdom and people of God's way, we humbly serve and wash each other. And in all that, we see true love. We see the extent of Jesus' love for us and we see the extent of our love for each other because of Jesus' love for us. And brothers and sisters, it is good. So very, very good. Praise God. Amen.